You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a T-Watts and TR edition of the pod. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside BOL site publisher Tim Watts. We're back with you post Alabama, Texas. So we got a lot of Alabama, Texas to cover with Tim. We're going to get into some NFL talks and recruiting, of course, and then we'll have our BOL mailbag. But Tim, I'm fresh from my morning walk. I'm fresh as a daisy. I'm ready to go. I've uh, consumed some podcasts already this morning. So why not? Let's just go ahead and do one while we're at it. Might as well. The uh, better, best time to do ones after a game like this. I've, you know, I put a lot of thought into the Texas Alabama game. And I mean, you know, watching it, you know, I watched it two and a half times now. I wanted to see the first half three times just to really see what was going on. But, you know, what an insane game. You know, when you look at the, you look at the, you know, first of all, the, the, the profile of the game, Texas Alabama, such a big game. You got the Alabama kid, was it three guys over there from that played at Alabama, Keelan Robinson, uh, Hall, and uh, Billingsley. Um, none mm-hmm. of them impact on the game you got sark you got jeff banks you got kyle flood we're all on nick saban's staff then of course you've got alabama the heisman winner so everything was set up nice i still don't know why that was an 11 a.m game Um, you know i don't either and i can tell you this i got down around the stadium area about 9 a.m and it was crazy though i've never seen an environment like that for an 11 a.m game not one that i can recall anyway i'm with you i thought fox left some viewers on the table uh, from that perspective with the early kickoff, but I'm sure they're going to tell us, Tim, that the numbers were, you know, an all time high. I think in streams they are already promoting that. Well, they're all t- this all time high till next week. I'm sure. They'll have- <laughs> it's like when they did those NFL or those, how fast the guys were running in the NFL. Everybody yeah. fastest. And the next week, somebody was faster. The next week, somebody was faster. But I think that setup for the game was about perfect for Texas. From the 11 a.m. kickoff, and they do play. They're more used to games at that time than Alabama is. To the heat, to the you know Alabama practices in the afternoon. It's still hot. Don't get me wrong, but it's a different heat. That sun's at a different level. Uh, to having the fan base there who's excited, and they already you know again used to the 11 a.m. game. And then you know once the game got going, it never really felt. You never really felt like Alabama had that momentum. You know that whole time, and I think. Watching Alabama over the years, especially, you know, with Bryce or with any of these quarterbacks, you can kind of tell when they're not – they haven't settled in. You have, you know, penalties. You know, I've got my thoughts on the penalties we'll get into later. You know, drop passes. You know, that stuff's not on the coaches. Um, I didn't think it was a super, you know, risky game plan. You know, and I think, you know, you give Gary Patterson a year <clears throat> to plan for your offense, you, you probably ought to have a couple of wrinkles in there to throw him off. Um, also the rhythm again was just off, you know, play clock down under five a lot. I know Bryce was checking, so I don't know if he was confused or what, or maybe there's some communication issues getting the play down, but you never really felt like Alabama was just going to take that game over. Then at the end, you know, you get there and they have a chance. And then of course, you know, Roy Dale's plant, Roy Dale's plant foot, um, slipped. It looked like the uh, center got pushed back and, uh, Roy Dale tripped on him. So, uh, very, very odd game. And, you know, as an, I guess because I'm older, 
I just think, you know, you got to be really happy they actually won that game because if you put a, you know, 100 teams in that situation playing like that against Texas and that and, and the way Texas was playing, which is pretty solid game from them, I think the major, vast majority of those teams lose that game. Yeah, I think there's a perspective of – there's a difference in perspective based on whether you were in that stadium Saturday and you got to experience that environment with 105,000 plus people in there. And then if you watched it on television, now there's a benefit to both because I think from, again, the environment angle, you understand exactly what Alabama was up against. Uh, From the other side of it, you're able to see more, right? You're able to kind of look at it from more of a technical perspective and you don't have as much of the, 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 external factors that are real a lot of times when you go on the road. So, yeah, we'll see. You know, I think that's an interesting part of all this, Tim, is I think a lot of people are talking about Alabama and the need to improve, and I agree there is in multiple areas of this football team. But in terms of the quality of this win, I think that's going to still be more with what we see from Texas the rest of the way than Alabama probably. Yeah, I think if Quinn Ewers was playing the rest of the year for Texas, I definitely think they're a 10-win team. I'm not as convinced that if Quinn plays, it certainly hurt Texas to lose Quinn. I do think it would have opened up the Alabama offense more. I think they sort of just played at the same pace that did. Quinn Ewers did a really good job as a, you know, as a, you know, there's been a lot of questions about him. He was a highly touted quarterback, went to Ohio State. A lot of rumors this summer that, that the, uh, um, Hudson Card had beat him out, which absolutely could not be true. Quinn Ewers looked like the real deal. Um, you know, for me also, I like to focus, you know, again, the, how many fourth quarters like that are we going to see from Bryce Young, who almost willed the team to victory? I mean, slipping out, you know, he had several plays. He did that in the first half. He was under, you know, he's under a decent amount of pressure. Patterson, Bo Davis, those guys, they had dialed it up pretty good. They were getting pressure on him, but he was moving around. I think in the first half, he was less likely to run with the ball. In the second half, I think when he moved around a little bit more, it opened things up. But drop passes, he had some great passes, just dropped right in their midst. You had young guys in uh, big big situations dropping passes. I know Kobe and uh, Bond dropped one. Um, and again, that's a that's a that's a weird environment, you know, for a kid who just you know just fresh into college and played in that situation with the fans who were extremely rowdy. But, you know, also the run defense was great. I mean, Bajon Robinson had less than 60 yards on 20 carries, 20 plus carries. So the run defense was, was good. So I don't think it's all bad. I just think that, you know, you walk into that game and Alabama's a 20 point favorite. I expected Alabama to score well. In fact, I thought Alabama would score close to in the forties or near the forties. And I didn't think Texas could score that amount which is my prediction, but you know, you get, you know, when you get on that field, that point spread is out the window. Yeah. Whatever you thought of Bill O'Brien's performance on Saturday, when it came down to it, he knew what to do. And that was essentially hand the football to Bryce Young and say, go win the game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, maybe that's what we need to see more of from Alabama early in games. Um, They were very much running back oriented to start the game and it started well enough. That plan looked good early after they went down and got the field goal, which Amir Gibbs doing a lot of good work on that opening possession. And then Jace hits them with the 81-yard touchdown. And so maybe there was a little bit of um, uh, false hope or uh, fake gold or whatever you want to call it uh, in those plays and those possessions because, boy, the second and third quarters were just tough to watch for the Alabama offense. And, 
Get to the fourth quarter, though, and they go with a little more tempo. They spread the field with three wide receivers, and Bryce just starts doing his thing, both as a distributor, but then also, as you pointed out, Tim, with his legs. And I think we learn once again, whereas you need these receivers to continue to improve, and I think they will, and they're going to get some guys back into that mix, hopefully in the near future. And yes, Jace McClellan and Jeremy Gibbs need to be big parts of the offense, At the end of the day, the focus should be on or needs to be on, first or foremost, making sure Bryce is the guy for four quarters, primarily the guy, with other guys serving in complementary roles. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at it, and I I mean, I don't know Nick Saban's game plan. I don't think anybody does, but to me, it felt like he wanted to come in, establish the run, sort of take the crowd out of it, let them, let them, uh, you know, settle in and get those emotions out of the way. And he said that before, get the emotions out of the way. Problem is sometimes you get behind the eight ball with their emotions. I mean, we've seen that before, especially on the road. Auburn last year never really got their feet under them. You know, uh, LSU hit the ground last year against Alabama high, you know, emotionally high with Ed Orgeron's, you know, last game against Alabama. And you sort of felt like Alabama never caught up to those teams until late in the fourth quarter. I, I, I think you come out and you try to score 100 in the first half. You know, I don't think you – I think you worry about milking the clock when you got the lead. I don't think you worry about controlling the game that early on, especially when you're, you know, you're the alpha, when you're the big dog. Um, I think that was part of it. I don't, and, again, I don't know – it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to watch. You can't hardly watch a play without a drop, without a play clock under five, or without mm-hmm. – in that first half and through the third quarter. You literally can't almost watch a whole play. Um, I'm not going to blame those offensive linemen. I mean, I'm not an offensive lineman. I don't know a lot about it, but I know this. Those guys were standing on the field. It was 116 degrees at kickoff or right around there, and they're doing basically a wall squat for 20 and 25 seconds waiting on the ball to be snapped. Uh, And and – and the defense knows when it has to be snapped, yeah. when it gets yeah. under five. So your linemen are sitting ducks, you know, yeah. basically, when the ball is snapped. What I was just thinking, like, you stand with that wall, you know, that squat position for 20, mm-hmm. 25 seconds, whatever it is, waiting on Bryce to get the reads, get the play, make that. Dude, that's a lot of time to stand there, 116 degrees, 100,000 people, you know, yelling at you. And then you do that, what, 60, 80 times a game? Um, I think that played a factor in it. You know, J.C. Latham had a, had a couple start, you know, uh, false starts. You know, Will Anderson we saw with a couple offsides. So stuff you probably won't see the rest of the year, I would guess. I don't think you'll see a Alabama team with 15 penalties. Um, um, just a very, very odd game. And even, you know, you watch it back, you don't really get a great feel for <laughs> You don't really get a great feel for what happened or how it happened. I mean, yeah, it just, it just seems like, though, when they picked up the pace there in the fourth quarter and got up to the line, right, and pretty much ran the offense that way, it helped everybody, right? Protection yep. looks better. The receivers get into a rhythm with Bryce, and, you know, Bryce just starts letting it happen and, all of a sudden, you're going down the field three times in the fourth quarter. When in the second and the third quarters, it was three and out, three and out, three and out, and just couldn't get anything going. Um, I think it made, you know, the thing is, Bryce, I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's football, but he's a point guard. He's mm-hmm. a lead guard. He's a guy, not just a lead guard in the, the Greg McElroy type of school. No, nah, he ain't Bobby Hurley. Right. No, he need, we need, you need to throw the when they, more job Moran. Yeah. Yeah. With, Throw the ball, yeah. When they throw the, when they score, you throw the ball inbounds, and he's pushing. 
You better yeah. run with him. That's where I think Bryce is best. He was that way in high school, getting under center, snapping the ball, looking for my guy, checking my second read, and then running with it, throwing it out of bounds or whatever. I don't think, you know, you know, you get a guy like that, you necessarily have to milk the clock with him, which is which is again best back to a basketball analogy, which is always difficult. I think you let him run. And again, I'd rather run early than run late. Running late's a lot harder. Um but again, you know, you know, you say it. You know, I know people are upset, but they won. Imagine if they Alabama had lost, how upset they would be. And hey, on Saturday, I don't know if anybody's watching football. There's a lot of fans that were 20 point favorites that I saw their team lose, multiple teams. So it's not a given anymore on Saturday that you know a team favored by 20s will come out win by win by 20. Nobody knows what Texas is. I mean, it's the second game of the year. Alabama played. You know, Alabama had played, you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a patsy, basically. Uh, Texas had played nobody to challenge them. So you don't know exactly what you've got with a lot of these teams. So, But obviously, Texas, very competitive. I think Alabama made a lot of mistakes. I think Texas was responsible, whether it be the environment or the coaching or the players. I think they were responsible for a lot of the miscues as well. Yeah, this isn't to say Texas wasn't really good Saturday. Talking more about what Texas will prove to be because unfortunately for a lot of teams, we've seen them play Alabama in that sort of game. And then like Florida last year, right? Lose to Alabama by two. They're feeling really good about themselves. And then before I guess even November rolls around or when it rolls around, Dan Mullins out of a job. I don't foresee that with Sark or Texas, but yeah, on Saturday, Texas was a very, formidable opponent. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So let me ask you this offensively for Alabama right now, your bigger concern, the offensive line or the wide receivers. For me, it's the offensive line. I think the wide receivers are fine. You got quite the smorgasbord of guys in there. I do like, you know, I think some of your bigger guys, I think a guy like Ja'Cory Brooks and Holden, they're going to be more sideline guys. I don't like to see them as much across the middle of the field. Jacory, there's almost a pass where Jacory didn't get between the ball and the uh, defensive back. I'm not sure he has that kind of quickness, but I mean, I would throw these guys to the fire. These young bucks, we've seen what Kobe can do. Isaiah Bond is, you know, is fast. He's quick. He can, he can do all the little things you want to do. I don't, I don't understand why you don't see Christian Leary. Whether you have a play for him or not, that guy's a threat on the field. That little, you know, the pass out of the backfield, the one they used to run with Smitty, um, the uh, play action coming through. Any of that stuff with Leary is a threat because of his speed. I'd like to see him a little bit more. And it seemed like they bounced around with the uh, the uh, the wide receivers pretty good. You saw a lot of them. I mean, really, none of them really clicked, you know, at the – uh, during the game, you saw, you know, even a guy like Burton, who's, you know, he's been catching passes for a long time, you know, dropped a pass. So, again, um, I, I'm more worried about the offensive line. I'd like to see a push. I think a little bit more creative. I like to see those guys, you know, pull a little bit more. I don't know if you can just straight. I mean, the play with Jays was a beautiful play. And I don't – did they go back to that? I don't remember that play very many times after that 80-yard touchdown run. Yeah, that was more out of a kind of a spread formation. They had Jameer Gibbs split out to the left, which, you know, kind of attracts the the attention of the defense a little bit over there. And then they ran right and got some really good blocks from J.C. Latham and uh, uh, Emil Echior, Cameron Latou, Jermaine Burton, I think, was involved in that. And 
But from that point forward, Texas basically said, we're bringing our safety downhill against the run game. And essentially, in doing so, asked Alabama, if you can hit us over the top, if you got one of those guys you used to have, we want to see them right now. And Alabama just wasn't able to do it. And so that made things even tougher, I think, for the run game as it moved along. I can't even think of a shot they took that deep. Can you? They took a shot to Cam Latou, I want to say, in the first quarter. It might have been on a corner route. But that that was about it that I recall. They hit, you know, they hit Jameer on some quick stuff that, that went for some big gains. But as far as just true vertical throws, no. Really didn't see it in the game Saturday. And I, think, and I think you saw that with Sark, and of course he did that at Alabama. What did he do with Ewers and Worthy? He just sent him deep and threw it up. You know what you got? Does Alabama have a Worthy, though, right now, do you they, think? They've got guys that run right like Worthy. Absolutely. Yeah, they do have speed. They do have speed. Yeah, they've got guys, so that's you know the first thing. And also, that that doesn't have to be completed. It has to be that threat there. But no, Worley's an elite. You know, Alabama wanted him in the recruiting process, quite the recruitment, committed to Michigan, flirted with Alabama, ended up at Texas. He's a hell of a wide receiver. I compared him to Smitty. He's the closest thing I've seen to Smitty. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody else that close to, to Devonta. But, uh, no, they don't have that that caliber receiver. Worley, to me, is a, you know, probably a first-round pick and the NFL yeah. impact guy. But as far as I'm just saying, take the top off. You don't even have to complete it. You got to let them know it's there. It's almost like you ain't got to spank your kids. You just got to let them know that option's on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's usually enough. So you throw that ball deep. You know, you try to find somebody down. You know, down there. Isaiah Bonds has got world class speed, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's part of it too. You know, some of the guys that have that more than the others are new to the offense. I, I thought Isaiah Bond did a nice job on the one at play that that Bryce extended. He he got himself in position and presented himself to he to did. Bryce in a way that you know Bryce put the ball on him. Mm-hmm. Isaiah's just not at a point yet where he finishes that play. Yeah, and I think the same thing happened with Kobe earlier. That Bryce, like you said, Bryce puts that ball on you, man. That thing's on. You know, he threw it a little bit behind Kobe, but it was a dart. You know, you want to say mm-hmm. make that catch, and uh, but I mean until you've really seen. Bryce's ball in that situation. I mean, you're going to have to adjust to it, <clears throat> and I think they will. I mean, that again, that was both, both of those were pretty tough patches. Would have been great catches, but you know the, the offense needed them. Burton's drop was a little bit more simple. I can see he was just trying to turn it up. Hadn't had the game he wanted to, but to me, you just you, you throw deep just to let them know you can throw deep, and um, and that 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 option's there. And I didn't see that, and it could have been. Texas just didn't give them enough time, I, but but you know I felt like there was times back there <clears throat> where they should have been able to at least take a shot. Tim, uh, why wasn't Will Riker a five star coming out of Hoover? No, I I, I remember I, you know, <laughs> I, always, I can ask this in every speech I do, and I admit, and I say it on the you know the round table, I say I don't know anything about kickers and punters. I did know feel that J.K. Scott was really really good freak but mainly i thought jk was going to be good because he's the only punter i've ever heard of that wouldn't do an interview <laughs> most of them call us we don't even have to call them yeah so i had a feeling this guy was a little bit different and will Riker, i felt like he was going to be a really you know really good one i mean i'd seen him you know my kids are at thompson i'd seen him for many years very confident guy um clutch you know he's gonna be another one that you remember when jk scott left saban hugged him and uh, I think that this would be another guy that he hugs. But, you know, clutch field goal, 
coming up big. I mean, nobody, you know, that's something they haven't really, you know, we haven't really focused on the fact that he had a, another clutch kick, uh, you know, at the right time. But he was just, he was a pretty highly rated guy as far as kickers go. Yeah, he was huge once again on Saturday. What about the hit on yours by Dallas Turner? You know, I don't think, you know, I don't know. There To me, there's zero flag there. There was no intent. And it was crazy because it was almost like, superheroes battling where they fly at each other and they tackle each other in the air because Quinn jumped and Dallas jumped, which is, I mean, how many times do you see two guys in the air together? And then hit him. I mean, he didn't drive him in the ground. He landed. I mean, if that, if he had twisted to the side, Quinn very easily could have ended up landed on Dallas. Yours was going that way anyway. And he was leaping and fading. So there was, there was nothing that could prevent what happened. No, I don't think there was any intent. I don't think there was a flag. Um, I don't think there should have been a flag. I think that that was just purely a weird one of the. I weird- thought I thought the white hat was trying to enforce an NFL rule. I didn't know that driving into the ground was even a college rule. I knew it was an NFL rule. Uh, what did they actually call? Just roughing, roughing the passer. Yeah, but I thought he announced on the call. I have to go back and look. I thought he did anyway, that that he that Turner drove him into the ground. I think if you're probably watching that. Um, he didn't pick him up and dump him. It wasn't that. I think if you're watching that live from field level and you're looking up yeah. at two, two big kids in the air hugging each other, I think it could have looked like that, but I don't, I don't think. Tough thing for Ewers was Dallas got his left arm when he wrapped him up. And so when he went down on that shoulder, there was nothing there to help him. Yeah, it was pretty strong, but I don't think – I thought the game was pretty clean. Uh, not a lot of – I mean, not the fans. They had some choice words. But uh, I thought the players – it was a pl- uh, pretty clean game um, as far as trash talking and dirty hits and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was a good game. Yeah, it was. Certainly exciting. It certainly had a fourth quarter that well, if a I'm lot Texas, of folks won't if forget. I'm a Texas fan, I'm excited. If I'm a Texas A&M fan, I'm not excited. <laughs> I mean, I feel. I mean, you see. I think you see what 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 Sarkeesian is, and there's been nobody that's ever doubted what kind of play caller he is. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. any ever spoke to a college coach that says I'm trying to. Th- I don't think anybody's ever told me he's not the best play caller in college football. Um, I've never spoke to a coach that doesn't think Gary Patterson's a defensive genius. So that's quite the formidable duo you got over there. And then you get experienced guys. Bo Davis and Kyle Flood on the line. So Texas is is going in the right direction. Um, Texas A&M fans are probably a lot more upset. It's weird just to watch the dynamics of those schools right now, especially after Saturday. It can change week to week. Like I said, I'll be interested to see how Texas responds this week as much as anything oh, yeah. against UTSA. And look, if A&M was victim of a trap game, the game they were looking ahead to is coming up with Miami in College Station this weekend. Appalachian State, that game, they beat Texas A&M. That's not some fluke. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only fluke was the kickoff return where they should have stopped them, uh, which were half, you know, basically half of their points when the, when the Aggies returned the kickoff 95 yards. Mm-hmm. That big running back, I looked him up. I was talking to Charles Power, who used to be with us. That kid's from Lineville, Alabama. And um, – um, absolutely, six two, two twenty five. He was a monster. Went for over a hundred yards. So kudos to him. And the game plan was good. They out, they outplayed them. I mean, there's no, there's no. That was not a on that day. That was the better football team. So um, 
I did think it was interesting because the whole morning the Aggies were screaming Saban was done and Alabama was overrated and then got really quiet. <laughs> you know, it's carry you know, it's three Saturday, you know, you, to me, if you're going to trash talk at college football, wait till Sunday. You know, that's that's when you got all your finals, so you'll know. But I mean, it's it's a big game, Miami and Texas A and M. I haven't seen Miami enough to know what they're going to do. I mean, yeah, I don't know if they're there yet, but I, look, their 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 roster is at least what Appalachian State's is. So. Uh, It should be an interesting one coming up this weekend. Hey, let's talk some NFL a little bit with Alabama because it's always uh, uh, a very crowded field of Alabama players at the next level. But, man, what about the game last night in Seattle and the finish to that game? Big game, by the way, Alabama in the the NFL for Jerry Judy last night. Four catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown for the Broncos. But, boy, not the finish Jerry or his teammates would have liked as – the Broncos settle for a 64-yard field goal attempt there to try to knock off the Seahawks in Seattle, Tim. I mean, for me, the thing that, like, I don't understand how Russell Wilson can go on after that game and say, yeah, I agree with the 64-yard field goal. You are making $200 million. How in the hell can you not at least say, yeah, I trust in the coaches, but I felt like we went for it. We could have got in better position. How do you say, yeah, let's kick that. You're not in Denver. You're in Seattle. That's a 64-yarder. Don't get me wrong. These NFL kickers are insanely good, but um, I just, I don't know. I was just shocked to hear Russell say, yeah, that was the right call on the miss, 64-yarder. The game, I mean, they fumbled twice inside the five. Uh, Judy's still Judy, you know. I, I know that he must. We discussed this in the offseason. How happy he must be to have a have a uh, have a quarterback. He had one drop mm-hmm. on a tough, but he had four. He's a threat to score every time he touches the ball. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's shocking to see the Seahawks who are basically in a rebuild. But you know, let, they had two hundred fifty three yards. They had they had two hundred less yards than Denver upset them. So I'm not, you know, to me, if I'm a you know, if I'm a Denver fan, that's not the answer I want from Russell Westbrook. No, no, you want uh, you want Russ thinking more along the lines of let's let's go down and hit a chip shot right there with the timeouts that Nathaniel Hackett had to his uh, at his disposal in his head coaching debut. That was just, not a great start for Hackett there in Denver. Just, I just can't imagine like Tom Brady or. Dan Marino or whoever you pictures the Mahomes, any of those guys, whoever. Oh, they would have just banged a timeout even if the coach didn't want one. I can't imagine them saying, "Yeah, I had no faith in myself. Uh I wanted a sixty-four yarder." I just can't imagine most quarterbacks Mm -hmm. that. And I like Russell Wilson. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good story. He's a later round draft pick. He's been around, um, you know, been around a while as far as you know, guys. You know, probably he probably does all the right things with. Oh, I know he does charity and all that kind of stuff, and, and it helps people in the community. He does all that stuff, but I don't know. That's not that wasn't a shining moment for me. But the NFL was great yesterday. You thought yeah. Saturday was good. I mean, did you see my Saints out there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you, what a right. comeback! Let Boy, me the poor you, Falcons. Let me tell you about my boy Jameis Williams, and I got friends that mess with me because you know I covered James in high school, and he he played baseball where my son played it place called bases loaded so i kind of knew him and he was such a goofball and i've always kind of made fun of him kidding around and he ends up on the saints you know how life works my man called it 
<laughs> my man down the ball in getting in field goal range on a stop clock and got a grounding, <laughs> got a grounding <laughs> penalty, which I'm just like, what the hell? I mean, he literally, so the clock has stopped. Jarvis Landry should have been ruled, should have been running. He rolled out of bounds. They stopped the clock. Jamison just runs up, doesn't glance at the clock, and just spikes the ball. They give him a grounding. Um, anyways. Uh, Jamison Winston is, uh, he's something. But Mark Ingram for the Saints, four carries, 22 yards, one catch. He did have a fumble in the game. Rashawn Evans for the Falcons in that same contest, Tim making the move from uh, the Tennessee Titans, Rashawn, with six tackles and a fumble recovery, speaking looked, of Mark Ingram fumbles. He looked, he looked the part there. I mean, but you go all the way down, I mean, you saw uh, the Bears were playing in three to four inches of standing water. The Bengals-Steelers game was insane. Uh, thank you, Burrow. What about Minka for the Steelers in that game against the Bengals? Five turnovers for Joey B. That you know, was maybe the biggest surprise of week one for me anyway. You know, and you, you text me that about Minka's Minka, the best player defensive back in Alabama history. And I, you know, when, when we were discussing that, I, you know how I love Minka. Minka's always, I do too, man. I, I do just too. Always, Minka's always been the guy that I'll, I mean, there's been a hundred of them. Jonathan Allen certainly up there and, you know, other guys, but uh, Minka's always been like the saving the Bama guy built by Bama guy to me. But I'll tell you what, Pat Sertan, you know, I, I, I watched him a few hours after we text, and, man, I don't know. He's going to be fantastic. I mean, he is fantastic. I mean, he's out there battling DK Metcalf last night. You know, Pat, mm-hmm. the guy we just talked about, had, like, the most silent GOAT career in Alabama history. Like, no, remember his sophomore year, we didn't even talk about Pat. Nobody mm-hmm. passed at him. We didn't even say his name. So, um, but, yeah, Minka just looks the part out there. The Dolphins gave him up for a first, which is – you know, after his first year, you know, which is insane. Best thing to happen to him, probably. Yeah, I saw Jalen Hurts. He had a pretty good game, but didn't really throw the ball to Smitty. He's got a. Uh, I'm worried about AJ Brown now. It's going to take some targets from Devonta, probably. Devonta's probably going to see fewer. Well, Hurts hasn't really changed from college. I mean, he's going to look. He's going to have that one read, and then he's pulling it and running. Yeah, uh, nine yards on seventeen carries in that game against the Lions. Yeah, yeah, and they had, you know, he targeted, I mean, I don't know how many times he targeted Brown, but it was an absurd amount, and I'm not sure Smitty got even five or six targets. I remember two. I just don't remember many targets in that game for him, so you have to wonder if he's going to be in purgatory a little bit with Jalen. Yeah, could be. Lane and Dickerson with a start at left guard for the Eagles in that game. Josh Job for the Eagles in that game. Devontae. And then for the Lions, you had Isaiah Bugs hanging around the league, man. His name a lot. Lineman. I heard his name a lot too. And then he had the three tackles. Yeah. That, oh, that you know, I look at the NFL and I wonder. Like I saw the Dolphins and the Patriots, and you say, "All right, the Patriots." You know, the, both of these guys have drafted their quarterback. That's their quarterback for the future. They think the difference is the Dolphins go out and get Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and <laughs> the Patriots get the guy that. The Dolphins cut when they got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, literally, you know, you and you know, I, I was watching Trevor Lawrence. It's not just Alabama quarterbacks, obviously. They don't have anything around him either. So you look at that games. I thought Tua looked pretty good. Um, Did they, Tua shut anybody up yesterday, or they're still going to be chirping? Or uh, Sunday, anyway. I keep saying yesterday, but Miami professional. You remember they had, you know, they were ready to fist fight Nick Saban when he left. For, mm-hmm. There, they took it so personal. I don't think you can shut up that Miami. 
you think it's a Bama thing with them because of uh, No, I think the Dolphins. I mean, I lived in Orlando when I was a kid, and they had the killer bees. The Dolphins were good with Marino, mm-hmm. and I see all that coverage. No, they're 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 a very uh, proud fan base. I mean, a little mm-hmm. bit like Yankees. They get on you pretty good. Uh, I think too. I think you know in the NFL, you get these people that like two is kind of like <clears throat> two is kind of like so laid back. I think people judge him on that. You know, that hang loose, that aloha and all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, he's a guy that gets prepared. But last year, it certainly seemed personal. And he had a lot going on with the coach and everything that was happening there, though. But he looked good, I thought, yesterday. Patriots probably in for a little bit of a long year unless they get some stuff going. Um, yeah, and Mac, Mac, you know, with a back deal now, he took a high-low in that game against the Dolphins. It was, I mean, yeah, against the Dolphins, it was pretty nasty and uh, kind of worried about him. Uh, coming up this week with the with a back situation, he had five Alabama guys uh, contribute to the Patriots in that loss. Christian Barmore, Damian Harris, actually Anthony Jennings, as noted here. Charlie Potter, by the way, tied in the NFL. If you want to keep up with the Alabama players at the next level, that's the absolute Bible that we go by. Uh, Mac, 21 of 30, 213, a touchdown, an interception, had one fumble. And uh, Mac Wilson now with the Patriots, three tackles and a tackle for a loss. Yeah, you move around so quick. If you don't keep up with the, the preseason rosters, you mm-hmm. know, you, somebody, they'll pop up. <laughs> they'll just pop up on your screen. But good day in the NFL. I thought it was a great college basketball game. I mean, college basketball uh, weekend, college basketball, college football weekend, and then NFL weekend. I thought everything went really good. Not really jacked up about this weekend. And, college football i mean you've got uh, georgia south carolina i don't i didn't think it would be a great game but i thought it would be somewhat competitive early on that you know a little bit of a test for georgia i bet kirby smart kind of wants to see what they can do but after watching watching south carolina this weekend they're gonna have their their big their lines of scrimmage are gonna have a problem because they didn't hang in against arkansas right yeah their offensive line man it's gonna be it's gonna be a Against Georgia's defensive line. I mean, Georgia's got an elite defensive line. South Carolina's got a bad offensive line. What I don't know is why South Carolina, who's got several highly ranked guys and are big name guys and NFL guys they're looking at, aren't better, aren't more productive on the defensive line. But overall, you got Oklahoma and Nebraska, Scott Frost. I don't know how I don't know how he made it that long, but then the you know the you know, fire him up there. So not a lot of, not a lot of, not they a hooked lot. him up with a buyout though. Cause if they'd have waited like three more weeks, it would have been half. I don't anyway, he's, he's getting the whole deal. Yeah. I don't understand why you wouldn't wait three weeks in that situation. You know, mm-hmm. of course, Penn state and Auburn, which is going to be interesting, quite the contrast. Uh, what do you think about that game? I mean, Penn yeah, state- I don't know what to think. Um, I'm confused. Based on what we've seen from Auburn, especially, and I understand there wasn't going to be a lot on display uh, against San Jose State last Saturday. I got trust issues with both quarterbacks in that game. T.J. Finley for Auburn, although Robbie Ashford, we've seen some uh, interchange there at the quarterback position, probably more so because Ashford is a running threat. Um, Sean Clifford of Penn State is a bit of an, an enigma with that fan base. When it's really good, it's been good. And when it's been bad, it's been really bad. I would probably lean slightly to Penn State, but man, 
I, I don't have much confidence in that pick. I don't know. Who, who do you like in that one, Tim? No, I don't really know. You know, I was watching Auburn. I thought they struggled. And again, like you said, they were very vanilla. Probably They probably didn't want to have that game be as close as it was. I mean, San Jose certainly was challenging them at times. Um, you know, first game was a little bit better. I don't really know what to expect. You know, my gut is, you know, to go with the SEC, it just means more um, theory. You know, coming at down home. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was saying. Coming down here, you know, it's very hard, you know, totally different, you know, environment. Um, I, you know, I think, I mean, the SEC's, you know, not that other schools aren't rowdy. The SEC can get rowdy. They'll be up for this game because, heck, it's a chance for Auburn to come out of the game. They win this game. Yeah. I mean, looking at Missouri and LSU in the next two at home, I mean, they Missouri's got. Missouri's bad. Missouri might be the worst team in the league. They but. got the first five games at home, which is good. Get your hopes. Mm-hmm. But then the last half, I mean, they're, you know, they're going to, they got a murderer's row here with Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, back to back to back, you yeah. know, and, and then the breathers at Mississippi state, you know, that's who looks pretty good through two games. I mean, that it was Arizona, but they did go out to Tucson state did and in thump zona pretty good late Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, you got Miami, Texas A&M late, I guess on Saturday too. Yeah, that's that's obviously the yeah that's obviously the big one. I haven't seen enough Miami to know what all you're going to get out of that. Um, if Jimbo loses that one, they're looking at three straight losses before they go to Tuscaloosa, Tim, because they play Arkansas the week after Miami in Dallas, and I mean, you know, comparative scores and things like that can be dangerous. But just on the hoof, Arkansas right now looks a lot more functional. To me, anyway, than than A and M. I think a quarterback change has got to be coming at A and M. I mean, they got to be they got to be pivoting to Max Johnson here in the very near future if they want to try to save their season. Well, they got that freshman. Jimbo kept saying last year he said he thought he got the best freshman quarterback in the country. So maybe get yeah. Him. I know Connor that, Wigman. I know you can't do the same thing over and over and over and expect it to be totally different. I mean, the big you know the 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 media. Is so simple, really. The national media last year they talked up the Aggies. The Aggies lost four games. They beat Alabama, but they lost four games. And those showed Wake Forest in a bowl game. They might yeah. have very well lost. That's what so I'm saying. So they could have been five they, easy. They go yeah. back. To Aggies beat Alabama, which was a big, is a great game. I mean, it's a great game. Texas A&M, uh, hard fought win for them. So there's, you know, give them credit where due. But then you get to the next year, you rank them in the top five or six based on that game where they lost four more, and then you know, you know, you know, laid up against Wake Forest, which yeah, could be really well watch Arkansas and Mississippi State last and, year when they lost. Play, Wake Forest was probably a you know, probably a, a a loss right there. They were coming. <laughs> Wake Forest was excited about that game. Yeah. And, and a pretty good football team. So I think it's huge for them. And it's a lot of pressure to be under. You don't want to be under pressure in your non-conference game if you're an SEC team. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you don't want to be piling up losses in your non-conference schedule to then go into the SEC. So I would expect if he loses this game, they'll be start being talked of uh replacing him. And you know, I've already seen some stuff like that. Um you know, people, you know, the scuttlebutt, you know, trying to, is he the right guy? And people that have supported Texas A&M till they die are the ones saying that, which is, catch, you know, which catches my eye. So, but still, that being said, I still would think Aggies are, the, you know, would, would be the early pick there. Um, I don't know how much Miami can turn that around this quick. Um, Aggies definitely motivated after that loss. And, you know, again, a hostile environment for Miami. 
So it should be an interesting game. There's a lot on the line for that because, I mean, if Mario wins, you're definitely going to get the Miami back, you know, Miami. Narrative. Oh, yeah. You're going to get that. And that would be a huge win for them. I think there's a there's six, you know, there's, you know, six or seven point underdog in that game, roughly around there when it came out. So that would be a massive win, you know, massive win for Mario, who's got a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. Yeah, he does. And speaking of the recruiting trail and speaking of the state of Texas, Tim, it sounds like Alabama has a couple of guys that uh, you and Hank South and, and everyone that, that keeps up with Alabama recruiting is focused in on. you got a couple of announcements coming up here in the next week or so, right, with uh, a couple of Texans, one on offense, one on defense. Yeah, Jordan Renard is a guy we've covered for a while, uh, defensive lineman from Tyler, Texas. Uh, Alabama's did a really good job there. Hallman Wiggins and Freddie Roach were there seeing um, Tyler, who was playing their other target, who's coming up on the decision with uh, Jalen Hill. They actually played each other Friday, and, and both those coaches there before the Texas game. Renaud's going to announce on September 19th. Jalen Hill's announcing on September 21st. I think that's Monday and Wednesday. I feel a little bit better about where I stand, knowing what's going on with Jordan right now. Um, Jordan Renard is, you know, six foot three, two hundred fifty pound defensive lineman, very active, very very active. You know, I, I said this about Edric Hill early. Edric Hill's a badass. He's a legitimately really good football player uh, on the high school level, and Jordan Renard is just as good as almost anybody you're going to see. Now there are, you know, Jay, to me the best offensive interior guy this year I've seen is James Smith. It's going to be hard for anybody to replace him. Just to, you know, you know. Guy was a quarterback two weeks ago running, you know, running the <laughs> running the Wildcat. So he's at a different level. But when you get back to the normal people and not the aliens, Jordan's going to be one of those top guys in the country. I think he's definitely a top 100 guy. He took a visit to Oklahoma this week. Uh, very good relationship with Freddie Roach. Good relationship. Obviously, Holman Wiggins did a good job. Um, have the parents on board. So I would think Alabama's trended in the right direction. Heading into his decision. Um, uh, I've got them predicted there right now. Of course, that could change. Hank South has them predicted there. And our own Stephen Wilkfong, Fong Bong, as they call his crystal balls, put in a prediction for Alabama yesterday. And Steve's a pretty piped-in uh, young man. Um, so he's one. Jalen Hale's a little bit different. I mean, he took a visit to Texas. I felt like Alabama was really trending in the right direction. Alabama put a lot of attention on him. Top 75 type receiver, certainly one of the best playmakers in his class. Um, he got a lot of one-on-one -on -one talk with Alabama, but, you know, he was at Texas this weekend. And, you know, I don't know what what you – I don't know what a wide – I mean, that obviously wasn't a game. <laughs> if you're – you know, if Alabama and Texas is your – you know, final schools, two of your final schools, Georgia and Texas A&M are in there also. But – uh, that's, you know, for a wide receiver, I don't know how they view that game. You know, it wasn't really a wide receiver showcase, but I think, you know, the atmosphere helped Texas. I think Texas is in it. And right now I've got people that think, you know, he's leaning Texas slightly. He's leaning Alabama slightly. I don't think Texas A&M's out of it by any means. And, um, and then, you know, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia's still in it. And I think he's got a visit coming up with Texas A&M this weekend before he announces. So to me, there's still a lot to be determined there. They're still taking visits. It's hard to really know um, <clears throat> exactly where they stand. Cause you know, there's no telling what they'll find out on that visit, but Alabama's definitely in the mix for both of them. All right, Tim, you ready to head into the uh, round table mailbag. We've got a pretty full bag 
get into our bag here. These jokers got. Let's do it. B underscore rich underscore. We'll get things going with B rich with two get right games on deck for Alabama. Which position group are you looking for the biggest improvement from those games? Of course, ULM coming up on Saturday afternoon at Bryant Denny Stadium and then a primetime matchup with Vanderbilt to round out the month of September. What about it? The one position group you're going to look at the most, Tim, maybe in these next couple of weeks. Well, this first game, I want to see the wide receivers. <clears throat> I want to see more guys play. I want to see more Christian Leary. I want to see Bonds out there a little bit more. I want to see the guys that are out there, you know, making plays, a faster offense. Uh, for me, the second game at some point, I'd like to see the offensive line <clears throat> just establish the run and, uh, you know, just, you know, whoop somebody at the offense, you know, whoop somebody in the offensive line. I mean, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, we've seen this before where we've had teams come in that weren't big name teams that pressured the quarterback more than they should because they were so basic. But I think they, you know, those are two of the areas I'm the most concerned about probably. You're not concerned. I just want to see what they've got. I just want to see exactly what they've got, especially wide receiver position, see them a little bit more, uh, spread them out a little bit more. I mean, you know what you're getting out of Holden and Burton, some of those guys. So, you know, a little bit more creativity, at least to set up to get to the bigger games later in the season. Yeah, I would lean wide receiver too, but since you went there, I'll I'll look at corner. You know, this is a position that's been attacked the first couple weeks. You kind of anticipated that. We talked about Xavier Worthy and some of the success he had. Jordan Whittington also in that mix for Texas. Uh, Casey Kane with a chunk play there late in the contest. But, you know, it seems like maybe Terry and Arnold with every snap is proving to be pretty dependable. I'm not going to say spectacular, but, uh, you know, maybe it's going to be Terry and Arnold that emerges. We've seen Kyrie Jackson. We've seen Eli Ricks. Kool-Aid's been pretty much a constant at the other corner position. I, I think until that situation uh, becomes a little more stabilized, I, I don't see opponents not going at those guys on a consistent basis. So I think that'll continue to be the case for that area in the next couple of games. Be rich. Also bonus question. We talked about this a minute ago. Minka Fitzpatrick was an absolute beast against the Bengals. Is he the best saving defensive back alone? Boy, you know, we outlined some really good ones, but right now I can't argue against him, Tim. No, uh, I would I would vote Minka, although I think Pat's going to come on strong. Marlon's obviously mm-hmm. the problem. Well, Trayvon's been good, yeah. Right. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, Marlon. So they've had some success. Definitely had some success there. Um, Minka, though, that's just, he's just that guy. I mean, the guy scores a lot of touchdowns for a defensive back. He's always scored. He blocked you know blocked a field goal yesterday. or was an extra point one of them. Um, very, just very impactful. Was a play in the end zone. Was you know, a guy about to catch a touchdown, and he's there to help knock it away. So I would go Minka. I think he's at the next level. I think Pat. But then again, with Minka, I think he's in the discussion for MVP. Yesterday, I mean, I must have watched ten or twelve NFL football games, and I didn't see anybody as dominant as Minka or as impactful. Not dominant, other than Michael Parsons for the Cowboys, who's a legit alien. So Minka and, and Micah were two guys um, that were fantastic yesterday. They come and they go, too. I mean, just a few years ago, we're, you talk about MVP types, Lane and Collins, you know, just a couple of years ago. And even there's some guys under the radar that just it seems like keep making plays like uh, Eddie Jackson had an interception, I think, oh, on, uh, yeah. on Sunday. So, 
And so many a, dudes in this league right now. And, and, you know, Eddie was a guy. He was a, everybody was talking about is the steal of the draft. Had a couple pretty quiet years, took some criticism. You know, maybe he's back to full form this year. But that NFL, man, it's not – it's not, you know, you know, I'm not a, the biggest Brady fan. As far as in fact, I'm not a Brady fan. I'm not a Pats fan or Buccaneers fan. But you got to respect the guys still playing. I mean, these most of these guys don't make it four or five years, you know, with their prime. I mean, the Raiders are talking about cutting Josh Jacobs. I watched him yesterday, and I'm like, this guy looks great. He you averaged know, like seven yards a touch uh, Sunday. You know, it's you know, it's almost like Leonardo DiCaprio's date life. You know, after <laughs> you get to to you know a certain amount of time, you just want a you know a younger person, you know, in there. And I think that's you know that's what the NFL is about. So, but yeah, um, I would definitely go with Minka. DPRTR asks in the roundtable mailbag: Do you think Eli Rick should have been a part of the twenty four seven Sports All Transfer Team? You know. Tim, I'm going to throw this to you, but I think this is one of those cases where a couple of things can be true at the same time. And when you when you think about Eli Ricks and the value uh, he had as a transfer from LSU, I, I think there's justification for him being on that kind of team. Uh, has it been an underwhelming start to his time in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, I think you could say that's that's true as well. Yeah, you know the guys <clears throat> coming off an injury. They're saying his back's still banged up. I'm in the I'm in a weird camp here because in high school I didn't love Ricks nearly as much as everybody else did. Um, the thing he's an he's an anomaly to me, honestly. Ricks is one of the hardest guys because physically he doesn't really look the part. If you look at him outside of his uh, uniform, he's not particularly gifted with his testing numbers. But the thing about the guy, even in high school and even at LSU, the ball finds him. So there is something to be said for a guy that gets, you know, has so many balls and he turns it into instant offense, you know, similar to what Eddie Jackson does almost every time. It's quite the anomaly. I didn't expect him to come in and just walk away with the starting job. I didn't expect, I think there was some debate with Alabama, you know, taking him, you know, it took a while for Alabama to actually to take him. Um, Once he hit the portal, they had some things to work out, but I think it's too early to decide. I mean, the guy could be an all American by the end of the year. I mean, he's getting, it's game number two. If he is having a back issue that's lingering, anybody that's had a back injury, you and I have, I mean, it's debilitating. I mean, there's not a, you yeah. can't talk, you know, and even for a young guy, any kind of back injury affects everything you try to do. I mean, everything, you know, you, so um, I think it's too early, you know, to, to, to get in. I don't even know who I was on the 24 right. seven team. They didn't ask me, so I'm not giving it a lot of credibility. Yeah, what's the old saying? You can't make the club from the tub, and sometimes that's at no fault of the individual. Uh, Nick Saban, I thought, did have some interesting comments uh, in relation to Eli Ricks during his Monday news conference. So could be a multitude of things still going on there with Eli. And, you know, Tim, you talk about Eli Ricks and his skill set. Yeah, he is a guy that in man coverage can be really sticky. I think his best attributes is length probably. Um, and he was a guy at LSU that made big plays, but also in that scheme and in that program, uh, you, you could take more chances in, in a lot of different ways at LSU than I think you can at Alabama under Nick Saban. So you know, while we're beating up, you know, want to beat up Ricks, I mean, maybe it's just the other guys are better. I mean, Terry, yeah. not some, you know, Terry Arnold's not some beggar off the street asking for a scholarship. I mean, that's one of the highest yeah. guys. 
in the country. You know, one of the biggest gets there for Alabama. I mean, obviously, Kool-Aid was a five-star guy. Arnold should have been considered a five-star guy. Kyrie was a freak junior college player. Those guys have been in the system longer for one thing. And let's, I mean, those are tremendous athletes in itself. So obviously learning position, maybe you go upside, maybe you go upside with the guy that's not necessarily the best in game one, but you think is going to be the best in game six. And we, you know, we've seen those guys make plays. So. Um, yeah. It kind of leads into the next question. Philly underscore two underscore Bama. Uh, do we think Arnold is now a starter at corner? Uh, Philly to Bama says that Arnold coming in, to cover Worthy last Saturday kind of felt like Pat Sertan coming in to cover Metcalf in the old Miss game in Oxford in 2018. And 2018 is kind of the analogy I've drawn about this corner situation through the offseason into the preseason and that it might take a few games like it did in 2018 to sort out this situation with, with as you said, a really talented guy in Terry and Arnold. Yeah, I think, Terry, you're going to see, you know, I initially thought he was going to be, you know, a safety. I think other people thought that as well. Knew they had some cornerback flexibility. I just thought with his size and skill set, he'd be a safety. Obviously, they feel pretty good about, you know, you get Jordan Battle coming back, so he's out there. Um, you obviously, you got Malachi and some other guys, um, Brian Branch. So not as much, much playing time available. So switch him over to corner. Again, talking about what kind of athlete he was, a legit you know, all these guys talk about playing college basketball. Terry and Arnold could have played college basketball. He would have had offers to go to schools, maybe not the Duke, North Carolinas of the world, but he would definitely have had – he did have offers to play basketball. Um, I think, you know, with him, it's just a let's see what we've got. You know, he looks the part. He's adjusted to the part. Um, and to me, he's did a good job at this stage. I mean, he's going to be tested some more. I don't think you get a bigger – trying to think. I don't think you can have a bigger test than Worthy, right? I mean, Worthy's – That's a big one. Um, you know, you're, you're – Tennessee, Tennessee, when you get to Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy yeah. and some of those guys, uh, got, A&M will throw a couple at you too, but maybe Tennessee is the next big one coming up. Yeah, that's more of an – yeah, that's like an offensive scheme. They've also got the uh, – uh, Hyatt kid from Columbia. Talking about it, why South Carolina struggling. Eleven for Tennessee is a kid from Columbia, South Carolina, I believe. Really yeah. good receiver for them. So, but yeah, I mean, Worthy's about as good a matchup as you're going to see one on one in that isolated setting. So, I think they, that he's he's a starter as of now. Yeah, it's kind of related to the jersey number, probably. But you look at Terry and Arnold out there, and I, I kind of see some Kareem Jackson, maybe. Uh, and Terry and Arnold. Hey, Lefty20 in the roundtable mailbag asks or says, or both, a few posters in another thread have suggested CNS is no longer an effective coach of DBs, with one stating he should step aside from that role. My question, can you guys get Charlie Potter to sack up at the next press conference and ask Coach if the game has passed him by? What do you think? You think we can get Charlie up to that task? Just the thought of that has me chuckling. <laughs> Jack Potter, I like how Lefty worded that. That was very well crafted, Lefty. Lefty owned it right there. You're hired, Lefty. Chuck Potter yeah. up saying, Nick. <laughs> our message posters are Yeah, our, our round tablers. Uh, yeah. No, Charlie will not. Should not no, we, won't, we won't do that to Charlie. Charlie, we love him too much. Bama man for JC. 
Oh, in man. light of last Saturday's game, what are other games you can think of that the refs were absolutely horrible? Wow. That that's sounds like a topic for an entire pod, Tim. I mean, that's literally every game. I don't, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I don't, I'm not a rep. Here's the thing. I don't understand why, ref, and I'm an older guy too, so I can finally speak my piece. I don't understand why most referees are old. Like, I don't get, like, they seem to be older. Like, you have a college sport where 10 billion kids won't play. They got time to do it. Well, that's what I'm saying. A lot of these guys will play sports all the way through high school, all the way through college. And then after college, why don't you snag some of those guys, teach them how to be refs, and by 30, they're experienced that they can be referees. Mm -hmm. One, it's got to be hard to keep up with the game. I agree. I don't think the refs favored one team or the other, but I thought they were awful. Yeah, I wrote this after the game. Texas is welcomed in the SEC, but that Big 12 crew, they need to stay back I because mean, they Alabama were terrible. Sure, they were awful. Alabama for sure had one uh, pass interference. I think it was on Kool-Aid. It was, it was pretty. Yeah. Now, maybe, it's one thing to let them jockey, but it's another only once the jockey. So right. plenty of plays over there. On Texas, you know, as well. So well, the I, Bryce Young scenario in the end zone, I, I thought the white hat just made that up when he said, well, there was a miscommunication. And so, I, and I didn't think it was roughing. I didn't think it was targeting. I didn't think it was roughing. I, I don't think anything should have been called there, but it was called. And then, okay, you can take the targeting off with review, but you're not supposed to be able to take the personal foul away. Right. Um, and and then he tells us over the PA that, well, there was a – right. He went and looked at the replay for the targeting and saw that there was also no personal foul and decided, in my opinion, so that he was going to get rid of all of it, that he needed to get rid of all of it because it was that bad. Tried to hypnotize the crowd. That didn't <laughs> I, I didn't understand why they even thought there was a targeting or a – No. I didn't see any of that. You know, I thought um, – Crazy wild play and Bryce again pulling one, you know, pulling one out of his hat there. It's lucky that pass hit that Texas defender. Tell uh Bama man for JC to ask us next week. We'll have more complaints. So Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anything will top uh Preston Gothard being ruled out of the back of the end zone at Penn State nineteen eighty three. That was bad. That was uh, that was bad. The Preston Gothard game in state college, if you're old enough, if you're not uh, Google and YouTube uh, is your friend if you want to put yourself through it. Treadman here in the roundtable mailbag. Uh, where does the offense go from here without five checks? Who steps in at left guard? Will the Kansas JC transfer see more time at ten at tight end? And who will eventually take the top off of opposing defenses? We've kind of hit on those topics. I do think specifically. Javion Cohen or Kendall Randolph at left guard. We saw Javion finish the game Saturday at Texas, and uh, I, I'm starting to to wonder if if he's not the guy to open the game against ULM on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. And also, I you know I don't know about the Kansas JC. I knew Robbie Uts has had some trouble, and I love Robbie out of high school for being the that down and dirty you know guy that that I thought he would be. But he's had some trouble blocking. I mean, they threw a Screen out the flat. He, he got beat on that. He got beat last week, of course, by a defensive end, which is, you know, acceptable. Defensive ends have moves and, uh, you know, maybe some rubbish yeah. too. But he's obviously still not the same Robbie we saw before the injury. I mean, I, I expect to get a belly full of Latou, who I think is a matchup problem for anybody in the country. He's a smooth wide receiver. 
at the college levels, I think you're going to see, um, barring a guy like, you know, Brockers for Georgia that, you know, but he's a big freaky monster. I mean, for humans, um, I think right. he's going to be big in the game. And I mean, you know, he's coming back and getting, getting some game time after missing, you know, missing so much time. So I think that you'll see more and more of him. Yeah. I, I think the left guard situation could impact Robbie Oots and Kitzelman and those tight ends. If, Kendall's not your starter at left guard. You can resume that previous role with him some at tight end as well. And those blocks in space, like the one Oots missed at Texas, those are tough for tight ends. I, I remember Miller Forstall as a young player having some troubles out in space and Hale Hinches and some of those young tight ends. That's that's tough, and you can get exposed a little bit. I, I'm still thinking Robbie Oots will be okay. Um, yeah, you know, maybe more as a complimentary guy, not a – not right now, anyway. A top guy. I think he's coming back from an injury still. I mean, that's right. Be in your head for a while. That's what's kind of really promising with Jace. You don't really see that linger, you know, like like you can. I mean, you start playing with guys' ankles and knees. I mean, they get apprehensive and that gets on their mind and slows them down. I think Jace has been really good about handling that. I agree, Robbie. You'll be fine. I just think you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to, you know, pick and choose your battles with them. Bama 22-12 wraps us up here, Tim, with are BOL posters more knowledgeable than highly paid D1 assistant coaches? Well, duh. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, what are you talking about, Bama 22-12? I'm assuming this is uh, rhetorical. Uh, maybe. Maybe just a little bit. We, yeah. we got to get that sarcasm font. You know, I know we're yeah. working on that. I will say, you know, the thing, I like the discussion. I know some people get frustrated with it. I mean, and I've said this, when it comes to recruiting or the game, I mean, you know, first of all, Alabama, there's a there's a certain entitlement there that you that you are Alabama and have the success. And it's not just a loop, you know, it's just not latched on the University of Alabama. Anybody that followed the Bulls with Jordan or Tom Brady, you're, you got that kind of arrogance with you. You know, your team's kind of earned it for you. But, you know, I think that, you know, at some point a win is a win and you're just happy to get it because, you know, sometimes they're they're hard to come by. You can't come out and have a perfect game. Uh, so I think when you come to a message board, you, know, you look at a message board like any community, your church, you know, wherever you go, the gym or whatever, you get all those people together. You're going to get a mixture of glass half full, glass half empty. You know, the ones you got to watch out for is the guy didn't get a glass. You know, he he feels like nobody gave him a glass. He's pissed all the time. So um, I see what he's saying. But after a game like that, the discussion I felt has been really good on the round table. I mean, a lot of the questions I've discussed, I mean, it's, it's legitimate questions to me. You and I are a little bit different, I think, because we've did this so long and we know we've, you know, we remember, you know, because it's our job and also we're fans, but we remember, how many close games Nick Saban has had. I mean, going back to blocking two field goals against a seven and six Lane Kiffin team, you know, to, to, to preserve their first champion, you know, they're under his first, I think his first undefeated season. And every year they've got this kind of game. Last year they had Auburn and LSU on top of the Aggies loss. You know, the year before they had Ole Miss, you know, in a hundred to 101 shootout. So I think we just sort of know that this is just part of it. And plus we watch so many sports that I mean, we see this around the country every day. You see the upset. So, um, I think the posters are pretty knowledgeable. I think some, yeah. like, I think some just like to have fun with it. I mean, this 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 smell bag was really good and smorgasbord of the, you know, the the guys that like to like to have fun with it. 
Yeah, it was a good one. We really appreciate everyone who contributed this week to the BOL Roundtable mailbag for the Bama Online Podcast. Hey, Tim, I think we're good. Uh, You ready to creep on out of here? Yes, let's do this. We will be back next week, um, possibly before. We should maybe be even talking about Commitment watch. Commitment watch. Got two guys. Yeah, we got two guys committing that are looking at Alabama next week, so – Uh, We could very well be back. All right, Tim. Enjoyed it as always. Always appreciate you taking the time here on the Bama Online Podcast. Of course, you want to hang out with us each and every day, 24-7, literally. It's in our name. Right there on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe, right there at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, we hope you'll do that. If you'd leave us a rating and a review we would greatly appreciate that as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanks again. Until next time, so long, everybody. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.